With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. On Monday, March 11th, you can pre-register for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Don't miss your chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend at Graduate Hotels. Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge is brought to you by Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. Hey, what up? Welcome in. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is All Ball. Uh, special conversation today with my brother Greg. He's assistant uh, coach with the women at San Diego State. Of course, if you follow me, if you follow his career, you know 26 years he spent on the men's side. Um, started at Cal Poly, San Luis Obispo, to Sac State, to San Diego State. Um, the first year that Steve Fisher was there, all the way through eight years, they, they won the league, got to the NCAA tournament, uh, to Cal Berkeley. Uh, from Cal, he went to Oregon State. They went to the first tournament first time in uh, like 25 years. He's at Oregon State and uh, then switched to the women's side at Grand Canyon for three years with Molly Miller. And now he's at San Diego State where they're having, despite injuries, a pretty surprisingly successful season. And they're creeping up on 20 wins. So I, I want to get to a couple of topics with him before I do that. Just kind of react to some of the stories of what's going on. And there's a this is always an interesting time of year because I, and I felt some of the backlash from this for the last five years, maybe of my career, which is I always tried to play it straight, not because I'm like holier than thou, but because I just thought that had the best longevity. And I thought that's the way in which I really want people in the media that, well, they, they cover college football. Like I don't want guys just because they cover a league to kiss up to that league or just because you played for a coach doesn't mean you kiss up for the coach or just because that school is your rival doesn't mean you talk shit about that, that school. So I've always tried to play it straight. And I think it's fascinating this time of year we, where we all have our conference affiliations. If you're a broadcaster, now I was always kind of a floater. I have never had like one true tie. I will tell you that for compass media, I do the Big Ten tournament. Uh, we do Big 12 games. And then all the different jobs I perform, it gets me ready for the postseason. But I find it to be fascinating how uh, what we pick up on. And, you know, social media is such a powerful, powerful force. And I, I'll give you an example. There's a Seton Hall discussion to be had out there. Now, Seton Hall, at the time of this recording, I believe is in third place in the big East, they do have wins over Marquette and UConn at home. And, uh, they had a nice little winning streak before they got blown out by Creighton. I'm willing to believe that Seton Hall has improved as a team. They weren't fully healthy when they were losing to, you know, in the midst of a losing streak. But the point is that it's very, I find it to be kind of par for the course that, the ones shouting from the mountaintops about Seton Hall are either East Coast guys, New York-based guys, or they cover the Big East. Whereas the rest of us are sitting there going like, like, look, the, 
their their top is really good, but they didn't beat anybody of any substance in the non-conference. Right? They have one, which I actually think would be a quality win over Missouri. And you're like, Missouri stinks. I know. But the, the idea is, one, you're playing an SEC team, too, that, that financially they're invested in being good. But the bigger issue is, like, it wasn't like you scheduled to avoid teams when you played Iowa and USC and Missouri. And these are normally, traditionally, NCAA tournament-worthy programs, and they just weren't this year. And I don't believe you know you scheduled Missouri or USC thinking they were going to suck, but they have. Uh, that said, like, look, I tweeted out on Sunday that, hey, it's nice to win streak, but they're beating the bottom of the league. You know, let me know what happens when they play the top of the league, which is what they have here. You got Creighton on the road, blown out. Now they got UConn upcoming on Saturday. I don't think that'll end well. Then they return home for Villanova, who eviscerated them. And I think you got to beat Villanova. And then I think you got like a DePaul game. Okay, you're going to win that. Then win a game in the Big East tournament, you're probably safe. But you're, you're operating this idea, well, we beat the top two teams in the league at home. Congrats. Lots of teams have. They really have. Um, it's it's a you got to establish a level of consistency, and you got to be able to show you can win on the road. And I, I don't know how the committee evaluates November and December this year. I don't because teams are not the same. But we've always been taught it's your entire body of work, and I think Seton Hall is going to challenge that. All right, let's get to my conversation. Here's my brother Greg, of course, assistant women's basketball coach at San Diego State. Um. Okay, so here's just a question I have for you. You spent like half your basketball life in the Mountain West, like half it in the Pac-12. And um, again, like I don't think that it's been this way for a long time. There's been a couple years where it's sort of, but this year, Mountain West is a better league than the Pac-12. How does that happen? Your opinion. Yeah, I think I think uh, you look at I look around. First of all, the Mountain West has always had a real commitment to basketball. I mean, there there are more there are more schools in in uh, cities that really uh, support the program. That's why they've always had big arenas and uh, better attendance than the Pac-12. Um, but I think you're looking around and you're seeing a lot of schools that have a much stronger commitment to basketball uh, and an understanding. I think of the NIL landscape in a in a they were able to capture that faster, you know, and then I think also you look and I think there's some schools that ha- understand their identity way better uh, and are, have stuck to who they are in terms of how they become uh, successful. You know, you, a, a program like New Mexico, we know, I mean, they have tremendous tradition and uh, commitment to basketball like that. And, uh, you know, someone like like Richard Pertino, I think he figured it out pretty quickly. Like, what do they need and how, how are they going to get guys uh, their kind of guys to be successful, you know. Uh, but you know, Colorado State, even I mean, they're they're really good. Utah State's really good. Boise, I think they've established a level of consistency. Uh, you know, I'm not even mentioning uh, San Diego State. And I think the craziest part about it, if you think about it, because uh, there's five or six teams, right, are going to go to the tournament. And, and I didn't mention UNLV, which usually would be the one that has the the strongest commitment. Well, I think that's how they they got Dan Thomas, but they don't have a they're, they're, you know, it's it's a hard league, right? It's interesting, like the NIL thing. Like I've heard, Utah State is like in the forty grand in terms of overall NIL, you know, from whatever their collective is. Now, you know, guys can make stuff on their own. San Diego State, they lost, you know, one of their best players to Arizona because of, 
you know, in a like it became a bidding war, and they're just like, hey, we're not, we're not there. So I agree with you, but there's like you look at the University of Washington, and I don't know what the actual number is, but there's a gigantic financial commitment for them in the NIL space in comparison to so many teams, in terms of dollars and cents wise, in the Mountain West that are not nearly at that level, and yet again. University of Washington this year, very average team and a very average at best Pac-12. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great example because I think you look at Washington State, they're more in the Mountain West mold of, uh, you know, um, you know, Mike Hopkins had a lot of success his first two years, but really most of the kids he inherited from Lorenzo Romar. And then, uh, you know, he did a really good job of recruiting kids that were highly regarded, but I don't know that he ever truly has found his identity in terms of how to put together the group that he he can be successful with. And I think you look right right over there at at, uh, Washington State, and I mean, they probably have the least amount of not just NIL, but the commitment to, um, you know, on a lot of things budget-wise for for, uh, basketball. And I think Kyle's he's figured out whatever he had to do to get the kind of guys that he can win with. Um, and, I, and again, I think you're looking around, um, you know, and I think it, within the Pac-12, I think there's, you know, sometimes when people with the NIL, people lose their identity too. They start figuring, all right, should we take, now all of a sudden we're going to be, everybody's in the portal or are we taking, you know, who are we taking? Where are we getting guys? Oh, now forget about recruiting freshmen, you know? Um, so I think, you're seeing again some of the programs that have established a level of consistency. They kind of already have their um, mold and identity of who they're getting. You know what what the kids look like, where they're where they're coming from, and then haven't really truly uh, gotten off that path. Maybe they've added one or two kids in the portal, but they're still recruiting high school kids. They still are retaining guys. Um, you know, and they and their style of play probably hasn't changed that much as well. So. Um, you know, that, that's where I see the biggest change, you know. I, I mean, I think even someone like Oregon, I think Oregon struggled because they've probably been heavy in the NIL and maybe they don't have as many guys that really are the kind of guys that uh, Dana likes to coach. They're just really talented. Yeah, there's lots of talk about Dana possibly retiring. And just because he's he made a lot of money, not from Oregon, won a lot of games, been to a Final Four, kind of done with it, you know. And the constantly putting together a new team is just, it's, it can be hard on, on guys who like, who, you know, it's always better when you have some consistency from last year to call on. Well, I think it's more than, more than that. There's, there's definitely that. That's a huge piece, like you said, but it's also just getting the kind of guys that respond to the way you coach, you know, and having, you know, you want to have your, that group. You might, you might get that from a, a guy or two who's a transfer, you know, but it's, it's harder you know, with some of these guys where, you know, they don't even realize they're not very coachable. You know, they just want to, you know, just give me the ball. Let me go do my thing, so to speak. And, um, you know, or, or really are they truly competitive? You know, the biggest problem in the, in the days of taking so many transfers is, you know, you can, you can definitely watch synergy clips and see how talented kids are and if they can score and all that, but you really aren't going to get an idea of what it's like to coach them, not just in practice, but in games are they truly competitive? What kind of teammate are they, you know, how well do they think, you know, and I don't know that you're going to get that, you know, when you're, uh, you know, um, asking their previous coaching staff either. So you really got to do a good job. How do you do that? Well, I think the big, the, the biggest thing, it's kind of like the, you know, what the NBA's done with scouting. I mean, you, uh, 
you know, if I would go historically at San Diego State, you know, we never took kids uh, transfers that we didn't already recruit, you know, so we had a really good feel for these guys ahead of time. We knew them from high school. We knew them. We knew their AAU coaches. We knew all their people. We had seen them play multiple times as young kids going on up, had them on campus even a lot of times. So, you know, that wasn't that foreign where you're just watching a kid in uh, on their video and then making a decision based on a, a one or two week uh, courtship, you know. Makes sense. Makes sense. Um, what about uh, just quick snapshot into the women's game? Um, like, guys, this is the first time I can ever remember dudes like legit sitting down and watching and being into the women's game and Caitlin Clark. Um, when you're coaching women's basketball, how much of that, you know, in terms of, I mean, she comes down, she's like Steph, dude, she's pulling. And I know uh, Sabrina was like that a little bit too, but maybe it was because it's in Oregon and didn't have the power of the Big Ten. Maybe it's because she didn't go to national championship game. Um, it just didn't feel like it was as much of a thing as the Caitlin Clark thing is. In your world now, how much of a thing, how much, how impactful is she? Oh, I, I mean, she's definitely obviously impactful. I think it's, it's really more less about my world. I just think in general, like you just said, the fact that you have everybody that's uh, uh, very aware and watching, there's a lot of eyes, you know, I, but I think she's not the only one. I mean, and I, and I'll, you, you go to out West and you look at, uh, I think it's interesting because you talked about, we were just talking about the PAC 12 for men's basketball, but the PAC 12 for the women's basketball has got, I think six teams that are ranked in the top 20. I mean, uh, there's a, and, and, uh, record crowds at some of these games. So I do think there's a, the, the interest in women's sports overall has grown. And I think the respect for the women as athletes has grown. Um, and I think some of it starts too with, uh, how much the, uh, you know, the men's basketball, you look at some of the NBA players and, and, uh, that, you know, you see them coming to the WNBA games or to, to even to the college games, um, people like Steph Curry having a, the, you know, the three point contest, you know, with Sabrina, I think that all those things are showing that, you know, that if pro athletes respect those, uh, female athletes, why wouldn't the average, uh, guy sitting at home? Um, you know, and I think honestly, sometimes, to, uh, you know, men's basketball in general is a little bit watered down. It hasn't been the same product that it was as well in terms of team basketball. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. On Monday, March 11th, you can pre-register for the Fox Sports Radio Bracket Challenge at foxsportsradio.com. Don't miss your chance to win the ultimate college sports trip for you and a friend at Graduate Hotels. Fox Sports Radio's Bracket Challenge is brought to you by Graduate Hotels, where college fans stay. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex.
At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Do you love Selena? Like, really love? Whether you saw her live, saw the movie as a kid, or saw her looks all over TikTok, there's no shortage of reasons to stand the Queen of Tejano. And Stan, we do over three whole episodes of our podcast, Becoming an Icon. We're reminiscing as lifelong Selena fans, sharing hot takes and telling her story. Listen to Becoming an Icon on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search Becoming an Icon. Let's go through, let's go through the, the rules that are different, okay? So sure. four quarters and 10 minutes. Right. right? Five fouls each quarter for the bonus. Right. What's the double bonus? Or it's always double bonus? No, it's uh, yeah, it's a good even question. But uh, I think it's just automatically two free throws. My mind's blanking on that one. Should, I'm pretty know. sure it's just, just... I don't know. The word is I don't know. Yeah. You need to Google. You might want to Google on the old iPad while you, while Whatever. you do it. But but the point okay, is wait, that... So then, and then what's the, what's the last minute? What's the, what's the rule on advance the, in the basketball? Time out advance in the last minute as long as you... Just like the NBA, if you call a timeout without moving or on a made basket or on a rebound without, uh, you know, either taking a dribble or passing, you can time out advance. So it totally changes the game because in the last minute of the game, a 10-point t- lead is not a guaranteed secure if, you know, and so it also changes when you use your timeouts. So there's a lot of strategy involved there as well as end of game. So we were just talking, you know, you just looked last night, two games in the Mountain West, uh, there was uh, game deciding plays, right? Justin lost to Utah State, guy hit a three with 1.3 seconds to go. Why didn't they foul? It, well, I'll tell you, the, you know, I don't know that for sure, but one of the problems Justin has is, He's down. He he's down to six scholarship players. He started five guards. So it's very possible that he said, "You know what? If I foul right now, they might be able to easily win the game on an offensive rebound because we we got a bunch of six three guards. I don't have anybody who's going to block out and come over the top of us. You know. So there's a lot of other strategy that could go into that on the there's upside downside. But the point is they they hit a shot with 1.3 seconds. Well. If you have a timeout in timeout advance, 1.3 seconds, that's enough time to get a shot on a sideline out of bounds. When you, when you, when you, when you advance, when you advance under a minute, but like 50 seconds to go, does it cut the, the shot clock? Cause like in Diva, if you advance, it cuts the shot clock to 14. Do you know that rule either? You know, um, that part, that part I don't know. I don't even know. I haven't even paid attention to that. But that, but it, it really doesn't even matter because you're 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 usually doing it because uh, they're either you're either doing it on the when you're down to try and score you know quicker and shave time off the clock so your shot clock's not an issue, or you're doing it because you don't want to go the length of the floor and you know uh, on, like they're going to press you so you get the ball inbounds and then you know they're going to foul you. You know, so those are the reasons why you're going to do it. Um, but it also means you've got a, there's a whole nother level of, uh, you know, coaching and strategy that goes into all those things. I get the ball in bounds. Yeah. I got to get the ball in bounds. Y- yeah. You, it, 
you know, and, and it's funny because in the in the Florida Atlantic San Diego State game in the in the semifinals, you know, Florida Atlantic called a timeout uh, in their their last offensive possession of the game and uh, allowed not only Dutch to put in his defensive lineup, but I, I remember stand, sitting next to somebody and I said, you know, women's basketball, they have so many more sideline out of bounds, you know. They're they're gonna they're much more efficient at getting the ball in bounds or running their action. Whereas in men's basketball, you don't have that many sideline out of bounds, and they might struggle to get it in. And sure enough, if you recall, they had a they had to call a timeout, another timeout to get the ball in, and barely got it in. So, you know, th- those are uh, those are real things. And I think again, you watch in the NBA, they do it all the time. And I think one of the other things it it, it does is it allows more close games, which. You know, people, that's why they did the Elam ending in the TBT. I mean, people want to see closer games. They want to see things that, you know, come down to the wire, game-winning shots, game-winning plays. Um, And there's definitely more strategy. So, I I think, uh, uh, you know, it's crazy that um, really college men's basketball is the only one that's still playing halves. No one one else, there's no other game where they're doing that. And I think it has more to do with media timeouts and how many you get at it. I don't, I don't know math on that. Maybe they get one extra time out in there, but you know, uh, you could still figure well, out a get, way to do it. So, so you get, you get what the 12, the 18, the 16, the 12, the eight, the four. So you get four timeouts, right? And then I think, and, the you, thing and is, I think, I think you get one. You for use or lose no, or but not, uh, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the first, Loader. I think timeout, which is the media as well or something. But in, in, in women's, in women's basketball, it's it's you get one at the uh, at the five minute mark, and then obviously the quarter is going to be a t- uh, timeout as well, and then you get the the first one in the second half is a automatically um, immediate that you call someone calls, so you do get that. But I think that again, strategy as far as the game goes and all all the other stuff, it totally changes because like you talked about whether you're in the bonus or not, and it resets. And, um, I think, cause I, you know, I think, you know, you see in some games early in the second half or something and the a team gets in foul trouble early, they're in the bonus in, in seven fouls. And, uh, um, you know, it's, that becomes a long game for a team that's in the, the bonus, whereas you, you get, you do get the ability to reset. Now the other side of it is if you can get a couple quick fouls and you can get in the bonus fast in a, in a quarter. So, um, but I, I think it makes a huge difference in the way the game's played, um, especially at the end. And it's crazy that that, that everybody's in denial over why they sh- that they shouldn't do it. You know, again, I'm looking right now at just last night with Jared Lucas hitting a half court shot for Nevada. It was a hell of a shot, but I mean, in a in a normal game uh, that you time out advance right there, and you're running a set play from half court, you got plenty of time. Um, and same thing, even for. Uh, you know, probably both those end of game that that shot that uh, uh, Utah State needed, they're running a sideline out of bounds <clears throat> to get a shot, not running a full court play that ends up in a hail mary. I don't know. I like the I, I like the FIBA rules the best, to be honest with you. And um, you know that one is it's qu- it's quarters. You can't call live ball timeouts. Um. You also, when you're gonna call a timeout, like you turn, you just do it to the table, which I love, because getting these guys' attention 
And oh yeah, by the way, it's like it's kind of an impossible ask to get somebody's attention during the game anyway, right? When they're actually doing their job. But I, I like the you, you asked the table for it. I like the 14 second reset. I like 24 second shot clock, honestly. Uh, which I'm that's that's not something that previous to the last five six years I would have said. I like the 24 second shot clock. I like the 14 second reset on the offensive rebound. Uh, they have the advance. Um, I think at any time you could advance, uh, but if you do, you get you know 14 on the clock, and then their deal is you get, I think three timeouts a half, but only two under the last two minutes. So you just don't get like timeout timeout. Now the problem with actually the FIBA game is it moves too fast. Believe it or not, like it really goes too fast because now they don't have. They don't always have the built-in media timeouts. I just think you do the FIBA rules with timeouts at the five, you know, and uh, I'm just surprised that they can't make it work. I'm, I'm guessing it's that extra timeout that you get because that's super valuable real estate, but there's got to be a way to work around that, you know, extend halftime. I don't know. Throw in an extra timeout in each half. Couldn't be that hard. Well, you'd make one of your, your timeout, one timeout each half a media or something automatically either, which the first one that people call, you know, that kind of thing. But I mean, there's ways around it. I mean, I just think p- that people get stuck in not seeing it if you haven't done it, you know? Sure. So, I mean, I think, uh, I think it'd be, it'd be interesting to see how people um, manage that, but um, it, it definitely changes the strategy of the game and how it's being played and, and, and not just that, but obviously how you prepare, you know? Uh, so, I mean, I, I watched so many game winning plays in the, in the NBA as well as uh, in women's basketball where that, you know, there's, there's, you gotta, you gotta have all kinds of timeouts. I thought actually uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, Oregon state, uh, the, uh, beat UCLA, Oregon State women beat UCLA and, and um, they had a 1.1 and they had two timeouts left and they called it, they ran a, a sideline out of bounds and and they didn't like what they got and they called another timeout and it was, I mean, again, those things, um, yeah, maybe it, maybe you're able to do that um, regardless in a huddle, but I think it, uh, because someone like Scott Ruick or women's basketball coach has the experience uh, or a NBA coach has the experience of having done it so much that they know, Hey, we got another timeout. So if you don't like it, just call another, call one and we'll, we'll set up a second play. So they didn't like what they got. Then they set up a second play and ended up hitting the game winning three, you know, and, and uh, those are two ranked teams. And that was a big win for, for Oregon state. But, um, Again, those are, I mean, those things come with experience of having been in those situations so many times, you know, at least as the, as the coach um, and then preparing your team for that kind of stuff. Sideline out of bounds philosophy. What, what's your, do you have any like hard and fast, you know, we can't do anything without this? Um, well, the first thing is you got to make sure you, you think about all the other things, but you got to figure out who's going to pass. You know, the person taking the ball out of bounds might be the most important person again, right? Right. Most important, most important person, person taking the ball out of bounds. Second most important person is who's going to catch it. Yeah, dependent. Uh, you right. know, and and I think then you then you worry about everything else. So, so do you? Are you like a? I want a, a bigger bigger person taking the ball out of bounds. Do I want my best passer, even if they're a point guard and they're small? Like, what's what's the philosophy? 
yeah, again, all those things you got to you want to prepare ahead of time too to know. All right, do, at the end of the game, do they put someone on the ball? Do they have them off or then man in zone? You know, all the different things that you know. And what are you going to do if there's two seconds? What do you do if there's four seconds? What if you know you have to have a, a, a you know? Do we need a two? Do we need a three? There's a lot of different things that go into that too. So you, that's why I'm saying you're going to have to have a handful of plays. You're going to have to make sure your team understands you know, what we're trying to accomplish, how much time we have, um, you know, all those different things um, really go into effect. But I think it starts, you you got to figure out who's going to take it out, um, you know, and because you can't, and it's no different if the ball's baseline, uh, baseline out of bounds. But again, and, um, you know, the sideline is because you're calling a timeout on purpose. So you're going to put that person in there strategically. So you definitely have to have someone who's going to be there in that situation. And then obviously, you know, what happens if, you know, you work on all these things, but what happens if a key guy's out because he fouled out? Now, now, now it changes everything too, obviously. Right. So, yeah. and, and then same thing. Do you, if you're, if you're, if it's a two point game, are you trying to force people to foul you? Or, you know, are you going for three? What are you trying to get accomplished in those things? So, and, you know, uh, sometimes that happens. You got, you know, you got to work on situations, but I think sometimes too, you, you know, uh, as the season goes on, you're going to be in those situations. But I think, again, because of the ability to time out advance, you're going to be in those situations so much more, not just because you can do it, but because everyone will, because, you know, you can catch up with people. If you're, if you're down, you know, seven, eight, nine points, you could still come back. You know, you, could, uh, you know, run a sideline out of bounds, hit a three foul immediately, you know, call another timeout. And also, you know, you can, you can make up a lot of ground in a lot less time. So, which is another reason why I think it, I love the Elam ending thing. I mean, they're never going to do that in college basketball, but I, th- I think it's fun to see how that stuff can work too. Cause you got to win on a game winning shot. Yeah. I just, I mean, I, th- I just value time and score. I mean, that's part of what, what separates what's, uh, what separates basketball from, from anything else. Um, and that's just be a score and score. You know? Well, it, it, you just have you have to do it and have done it before. But I think you're right. But from the it, you're also never out of it. So if if you're in a game uh, and you're down 15 or whatever, you know you could still come back because if you get stops, no, and you got to win on a game shot. So it it, it it changes the game, like you said, time and score. You can't just hold the ball. But now now you got to get a shot. You know you got to score to win too. So um, you know that makes it. it just changes the way the game's played, you know. No question. I, 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 you're yeah. talking to the guy who authored the greatest comeback in the history of TBT, right? Down 26 to New Mexico, right? To Team Enchantment. And they had never seen a diamond press, but they didn't, press, they didn't prepare for a diamond press. But they, the one thing about the Elam ending is it's a lot like pickup ball, right? Where you have that target score number. It's like, oh, all we need is, all we need is six? Like, dude, two threes, right? Instead of just thinking like, hey, man, three twos wins you the game, you know? Or you're, it's, it's three to it. So you just keep taking three. Yeah. So that's, 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 again, that's just the figuring out the strategy. I mean, we all, we're all in the thing where, you know, same thing. I mean, if you're, if you're down three with 30 seconds to go and you have a, if you have the ball, even if you didn't have any timeouts, if you're down three with 30 seconds to go. I mean, in all likelihood, I mean, I just, if you'd ask 90% of coaches, I'm not going for three, I'm trying to get to the basket and I'm going to try and extend the game when they don't want to foul and I'm going to try and get a layup, I'm going to try and get something going to the rim. And then I'm going to, you know, set my press up or whatever. I'm going to try and foul. 
and then we're going to we're going to keep going we're going to play that way you know now some people will say well if we're on the road this that and anything but i mean it's all time and score dictated like to your point right right yep so yep yep regardless i just think there's a that, those are all things that can make the game more fun and people watching, you know, obviously, you know, you, you how many people turn off the game when there's, if, if it's, you know, a 20 point lead, you know, now in the NBA, how many times you, you turn off the game when there's a 20 point lead in the, uh, you know, the beginning of the uh, fourth quarter. And then you're saying, wait, what, what happened? They won, you know? So it happens. I mean, one, that's more time, but there's a little more time in the NBA, but you know, 20 point lead in the NBA is, is not secure. So it's totally true. Uh, but again, that's also a 12, you know, 12 minute, half, 12 minute quarter and a 24 second shot. So, you know, there's a, there's a certain kind of, there's a certain math to it. I went, okay. So you're back in the mountain West. Okay. Give me, is there a place like when I go to Albuquerque, I always go to, I think it's called satellite coffee and they have, uh, a Mexican latte, which is freaking good. It's got like cinnamon in it, a little spicy. Um, give me a give me a place that you, you hit back up now. Being back in the Mountain West, you're like, man, I haven't been here forever. And you get in the road, you're like, this is still here. That's a great question, but honestly, I mean, you're talking. You're not talking about uh, a, a lot of. I mean, you'd say Vegas. We haven't been to Vegas yet. Uh, you know, Fort Collins is, we, there's a really nice hotel that we stayed at in Fort Collins that um, I don't think it existed when I was there. And it's right downtown. So you get a way different feel for Fort Collins. Uh, that was really that. pretty cool. I think that was really yeah. pretty cool. But, but um, you know, I wouldn't have a spot. New Mexico, actually, and I can't remember the name, but there's a, uh, I was out here a couple weeks ago recruiting and uh, I, I kind of fell into this coffee shop that's, that's really good. And I can't remember the name. It's not the place you're talking about, but it's one of those places where they got a um, really good, um, you know, a handful of like um, foreign coffees and they do the a drip cup and it was really a cool, a really cool vibe, good spot. And I would totally go back. Um, so that place was pretty cool. Um, Wait, you're there now. You're not going back because you don't, don't know where it is. I just don't, I don't have time and I don't have a car. So, you know, I'm not going to have the bus take me, but. Yeah, but no, uh, uh, you know, and then there's some teams that weren't in the mountain West. I mean, Nevada, San Jose state and Fresno weren't even in the mountain West when I was in the league uh, many moons ago, nor Bo Boise. So I hadn't actually, that's the first time I played at Boise was this year. Oh, Boise is so cool. Boise is another cool spot. Yeah. And they got, and actually they had a pretty good crowd for our game. I, I was impressed. Um, so really that's, I just named four teams that weren't even in the mountain West and obviously Utah BYU aren't in the league anymore. Uh, best part about uh, Laramie, Wyoming, they got a nice hotel now. They didn't used to have that, you know, you'd stay in that motel. That arena is cool, by the way. I love what they did to that place. Yeah. Um, it's a nice arena. I think it's kind of weird how they, the, that one little angle, there's the with the seats it's a little a little odd but g great fans great crowds um you know and you have to kind of go there at least to experience it regardless you know um so and and obviously the pit is is uh historic and so that I, that's always cool you know we're gonna we're gonna go there today for shoot around and you know we got to do the roll the ball up the uh up the ramp, ramp. see who can get yeah. to the top yeah, I mean that—that's a pretty much a given, standard issue, 
right? Okay. Yeah, it is. Just like Wyoming, where they have the altitude on the court, and then right before you walk out, you know, it can be hazardous to your health. Physical activity. Yeah, I mean, play the mind game. Yeah, totally, totally. You know, I mean, does it? So there's a there's a lot of cool spots. I think the best part is just seeing, um, you know, definitely that there's a you really appreciate the the level of interest in basketball, uh, you know, in the Mountain West. I think. All you gotta do is ju- just see the arenas, even in the or and they all have practice facilities and you know uh, that are really nice. And so there's definitely been a commitment. Uh, same thing, you know, oh, Utah State. I, that was first time we played. I played at Utah State was this year. Um, they weren't in the league either, and obviously uh, they have uh, great commitment there as well. So I mean, there's a there's a lot of cool spots. Utah State's interesting because it's so they have that the Estes Center is really nice. The arena is perfect, like really nice. But like, dude, you gotta redo those seats. The, the 70s seats like, and it's a big thing for them they're like well it's kind of always our thing like yeah just take out the seats put in blue seats it'd be amazing you know yeah you're probably right except for when the you know for when, when they got a sellout no one knows what the color of the seats are anyway so you know i mean i always say the best arenas are the packed ones you know there's plenty of oh, ones yeah. that i played in when there, there's no there's there's a lot of fans dressed as seats in some of these other games you know so uh um, and I think that's really one of the other advantages the Mountain West has is they don't lose a lot of home games. I mean, you look around and on the men's side, uh, you got uh, how many teams have 20 wins right now? 20 plus, you know, and you look at the Pac-12 and you go, how many teams have 20 wins? It's it's crazy how many teams in the Pac-12 have 15 wins right now or less, you know. Um, but also, I, I w- not even close in attendance wise. So, I mean, it's not an advantage you know, uh, to you know, it used to be Stanford used to be a really hard place to go and play in terms of crowd wise. I mean, no, no one goes to the Stanford games right now. You know, I mean, nobody and nobody and, and uh, you know, no one goes to Cal games. They just started finally getting some good crowds. They've had a couple of them, but not really, n- not all of them. But uh, you know, and I, I'm just giving you a couple examples. But uh, those are places where, like, you know, it should be hard to play. But I mean, if you go in the Mountain West, I mean, they're they're drawn like crazy. Um, and really, uh, I mean, and, you know, obviously we can talk about all of them, but still in the Mountain West, the best place to play is still, you know, San Diego State yes. backs. So it's hard to beat, hard to beat. All right. My thanks to my boy, Greg. Uh, he'll join us here throughout March as we get ready for the NCAA tournament. Give us the thoughts on what it's really like to prepare for these conference tournament championships. Uh, We're going to start pumping more and more of these all balls out because this is that time of year. So hope you enjoyed it. Remember to download, rate, review, uh, subscribe to it. You can also check out the Doug Gottlieb show, which is daily three to five Eastern, or you can get it in podcast form as well. Just type in Doug Gottlieb, wherever you got this pod, this pod, and you can get more good ones. I'm Doug Gottlieb. This is all ball. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help. 
Call 1-800-GAMBLER. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts